I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And my intention this morning is to read a couple of verses here in Genesis 3 and then spend some time in the Psalms, particularly Psalm 27 and Psalm 91. Um, may end up in 1 John 4. I'm just telling you these places um, so you can have them ready in your Bibles. When God created man, Adam, he created Adam in his own image. And God was delighted in, in what he had made. And he, and he created this man with the capacity of intimacy and fellowship with him. And we understand that the man chose to rebel against God. And the man, given the opportunity to, to have every tree that was in the garden to eat from, there was just this one tree, which is really just a test of will, a, a test of obedience. That man was not imprisoned by his inability to make choices outside of what God may particularly want for the man. And the man made a choice to eat from a tree that God had forbid him to eat from. And what God said would happen, happened, and the man died. He died spiritually. He had become separated from God. And when Adam became separated from God, he felt it. Things began to happen in his life that had never happened before. Now, it was the custom for Adam and God to walk together every day. The Bible even describes that every day in the cool of day, God would come and he would walk with the man. It was absolutely no problem. The man enjoyed his God and God enjoyed the man. And they fellowshiped and they walked. And it would have been beautiful if some of those conversations were recorded and what it must have been like. And the love and the intimacy that they shared with each other must have been incredible. But all of that was ruined. All of that was destroyed when the man chose a way other than God's way. Man chose his own will and was following his own desires that were outside of the will and the desire of God. And so on this particular event, when everything in the man's world changed, God continued to do what God did. And he came into the garden in the cool of the day and the man was not there. And what I want us to read, I believe, is so very important for us to understand. Because I'm going to talk to you for just a few moments about the two Adams. You have this first Adam, and then you have a second Adam, or a last Adam, as Paul refers to him in 1 Corinthians 15, and that is Jesus Christ. And the first Adam is here in the garden, with the opportunity to make a decision that is either going to bless all of the generations that are going to come after him or curse them. And Adam in the garden made a decision that would end up cursing all of his children, all of his descendants, which is us. And God brought a second Adam into the world. This is the second Adam, Jesus Christ, because he's not born of man. He's born of the woman. He was born of a virgin. 
And the nature of that first Adam and and the nature of sin of that first Adam was not passed on into Jesus Christ, though he's fully human. He also had opportunities. But we know that Jesus Christ, though he was tempted, he sinned not. And he also became the representation or representative of future generations. And by the first Adam's disobedience, every one of his children would come underneath the curse and the wrath of God. And they would be doomed to die. So, and likewise, because of Jesus' obedience to the Father, that everyone who is born again... Not by any works of righteousness or the keeping of the law. But just simply because they are born of Jesus Christ. Are brought into the blessing of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ. And so really everything has to do with your positioning. Not your religion and not your works. But your positioning. You're you're in the first Adam or you're in the second Adam. Jesus Christ. And so as you consider that, I want to talk about these two Adams for just a moment, very briefly, and their relationship with God. Because the first Adam in the garden broke his relationship with God and his whole world changed. And you're going to read about it in chapter 3. And we're just going to go to this one scripture in verse 10. And God is walking in the cool of the day and he's calling out in verse 9, where are you? This is Adam's response in verse 10. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. Now, I just want those three things to stand out. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. I was afraid, I was naked, I hid myself. That is what every one of Adam's children still does. They are afraid, they are naked, and they are hiding themselves. Because of a fear. And it is the fear that they have that causes them to go into hiding. So I want this to really stick out with you. I hid myself. I hid myself. And what he was hiding himself from was the thing that caused him fear. Now in Adam's day, there was not too many things that... He was exposed to at that moment to be afraid of. So he was afraid of the right thing to be afraid of. And that was God's wrath. He was afraid of God. He was afraid of what God was going to do to him. And so Adam hid himself to be in a position concealed from God seeing me. I don't want God to see me. And so Adam goes into hiding. And I want to say this to you because you're going to see the second Adam does not hide himself from his father. There was never an occasion in Jesus' life where he had to hide himself from his father. Because Jesus Christ 
was the one who fulfilled all obedience. But I want, you to, I want you to know something as we come into this, and I think it is important. The secret place that you hide yourself in is what's going to shape your destiny. And for some of you who have come to the ends of your life, it is what has shaped your destiny, your life. You still have destiny because you're alive. But if you're an older person... How you've lived your life, the particular hiding place that you have hid in your whole life has shaped your destiny. You young people, where you're hiding yourself, that is shaping your destiny. In your hiding place, you are exposing yourself to a very powerful influence. That has the power to launch you or crash you. One of those things is going to happen. So where you choose to hide. Is where you're choosing. And what you're choosing to have influence upon your life. And to shape your destiny. Everybody hides. Everybody. The question that I want you to begin to ask yourself now and hopefully answer is, where am I hiding? What is my hiding place that I'm hiding in? Satan is not concerned about the way other people think about you. Satan is not concerned that you feel naked. And what your nakedness does to you in regards to how you live among people or how you function in life or whether you're you're somebody who is an introvert because you think everybody sees you and you're just so embarrassed of yourself and you hide behind whatever. Or if you're very religious and and you're trying to masquerade yourself so that nobody's angry with you and everybody thinks wonderful of you. So you become religious and you hide behind religion. Whatever it is, we're hiding behind something. And and Satan's not worried about that. Satan is not worried about how God uses you. Satan's not worried about what you say God has done through your life. And you can bring out your ministries. And you can bring out your experiences and your testimonies of how God has used your life. Satan's not worried about that. And, and, and honestly, even in, in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has, has this revelation where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven, but many are going to say, I prophesied in your name, I did many wonderful works in your name, I cast out devils in your name, and Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. In other words, you've been hiding somewhere else. So these things that you've done... That's not really what's important. If if Satan wins the battle of your hiding place, he shapes your destiny. God, as he did with the first Adam, comes along and he's doing this today for us. If you feel like God's never done this for you, he's doing it for you today. God is calling you out. Where are you? Where are you hiding? Is it the right place? That is what I want you to think about. John the Baptist is having his ministry. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. 
descending from those mountains is Jesus Christ. John, I picture him standing in the Jordan, the multitudes of people surrounding him, and John lifting up his eyes, and he looks and he sees Jesus Christ descending that hill, and and John just begins to prophesy, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus goes into the Jordan River and he stands there with John. And John's like having this humbled confrontation with or or consultation with Jesus. I need to be baptized of you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus, John, let's just fulfill all things. This is what you need to do. And when John is baptizing Jesus in the shape of a dove, in the form of a dove, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus Christ and stays there. Now, John said that that's what God told me would be my sign of who the Messiah is. I would see the Holy Spirit come on him like a dove and stay. Therefore, I know this is the one. But to give more affirmation, and this is what I want you to hear. A voice from heaven speaks. And the voice from heaven is God the Father. And he says, and everyone hears it. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Now listen to me. Up to this moment. Jesus has performed no miracles. There's nothing really recorded except when he was around eight years old and a couple of years around that where we, we see Jesus engaged in discussing the word of God and talking about God's word with, with learned teachers and, and, and lawyers and so forth. So we understand Jesus was growing in favor with God and man. But up to this point, Jesus has done no miracles. We can't record really anything that he said except I'm, I have to be about my father's business. Um, for, for 30 years of Jesus, his life he has been living somewhere nobody knew really who or what he was he was living if you will in hiding he was in a secret place not hiding necessarily from God but he was just there with his father And not because of miracles that Jesus Jesus is going to go on. And Jesus, God could say from heaven, this this son of mine, he's so incredible. He's going to walk among you and he's going to heal you. He's He's going to cause hundreds of you who can't walk to walk. He's going to cause some of you who are going to experience the death of a loved one an immediate joy because he's going to bring them back from the dead. He's going to open up your blinded eyes. He's going to cast out the devils that are possessed. None of that was said. God's delight in his son was just simply in the context of sonship and, and who he was. Not so much what he did, but who he was. The, the intimacy that Jesus had with his father and obviously and, and certainly the 30 years of perfection up to that moment that have pleased the father gave the father great delight. Jesus fulfillment of everything in the law up to that moment gave the father great delight, but it was the intimacy. It was the relationship. It was the love. And one of the things you see about Jesus life that even when he came into ministry on that day. 
He was launched into ministry for the next three years. And I would, I would dare say there's never been a human being more busy than Jesus was in those three years. Sun up to sundown, delivering people, healing people, ministering to people, feeding people, people pressing upon him in crowds where he had to even get in a boat just to get a little bit of relief. And then he would minister all day. And what did he do? He would retreat with his father through the night. He would, if you will, he would go back to his secret place, which was his father. And Jesus would get refreshment and nourishment in the presence of his father. He would wake up way early in the morning and he would go off to a deserted place or a desert place. And he would just be there with his father. He was so in love with his father that of all the things that everybody saw him do... The one thing the disciples really needed Jesus to help them with was, how do you pray like this? And I don't believe it was prayer for the sake of prayer. I believe it was intimacy. This relationship that you have with your father is, it is so incredible, Jesus. Teach us that. Teach us that. Because that's, that's got to be the key to everything. If I can have a relationship with God the Father like that, everything else is just going to happen. So, so teach us that. And they saw that and they wanted that. The battle for the secret place. I ask you to really search your heart and your life as to where you are hiding. The secret place is real. I want to go to Psalms 27. I just want to read a couple of these. I, I make reference to this because I want you to understand that many people in the, in the word of God referred to the secret place. People who walked with God and followed God, they made reference to this secret place, this hiding place, this shadow of God, if you will. Probably about now, eight to ten years ago, God really came and rescued my life from Psalm, with, with Psalm 27. And I'm still just learning from it. But I want you to read it with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Would you, would you pause? Please pause. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid. When I read these things that David's describing in Psalm 27, I hear fear. Things that make me afraid. Things that are strong. Wicked things. Foes. They want to eat up my flesh. Verse 3. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now 
Shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me? Therefore, I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. For some of you, it has been so long since you've offered a sacrifice of joy to God. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. Had not your face far from me. Don't put me away in anger. Lord, you have been my help. Don't leave me now. Don't forsake me, O God, of my salvation. My father and mother may forsake me, but God, you will not. And you know what I hear when I read this psalm? I was afraid. I was naked. In other words, no possibility of helping myself. And I ran to you. I ran to you, God. I ran to this hiding place that I know so well. And I know, God, from all of the times in my past, you have not forsaken me. And you're not going to forsake me now, even if my mother and father could. You won't, God. What secret place do you run to when you're afraid? In Psalm 91, is a psalm of Moses. So this is the great Moses. He obviously knew these stressful times of life. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and him will I trust surely. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. Do you hear fear? I do. Do you hear terror? Do you hear enemies? Do you hear things that could cause any man to be afraid? I was afraid. But where does Moses run? What's Moses' hiding place? It's God. It's the Father. That's his hiding place. He says in verse 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You will not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flies by day. He's not saying there is no terror and there is no arrow, but I don't have to be afraid of that if I'm under his wing. If I'm in his shadow, this is where I go. This is what I run to. So I think about that and I want you to know. That this place is very real. Paul talks about being hidden as well in his epistles. That we are hid in Christ, in God. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a hiding place. It's a place of safety and a place of refuge. I would add Mary and I would add John also to the list of those people who understood a safe place of refuge. Where they could run to when they are afraid and they are troubled. Men are afraid today. I, I pulled this up. I was looking at some things. And um, it says more than one in five U.S. adults live with mental illness. Over one in five youth between 13 and 18 years old, either currently or at some point during their life, have had 
serious debilitating mental illness. The most common mental illnesses are anxiety disorders, fear, stress, causing major depression, other mental illness, bipolar disorders. Around $280 billion was spent on mental health in 2020. I can tell you where most people are turning and it's not to their father. According to the World Economic Forum, poor poor mental health cost the world economy an estimated $2.5 trillion in 2010. It's projected to increase to $6 trillion by the year 2030. And people on average spend $375 a month on their mental health. And what I'm just trying to demonstrate by that is you cannot deny the very real fact that mental disorders, anxiety disorders, stress, depression, fatigue, fear... It's not something that we as humans have been dealing with ever since our father Adam in the garden transgressed against God and stepped into a world that he came to know as a world that would also begin to terrify him. And where would he run and what would he run to? So I want to ask you this. What goes on in the secret place? Whatever secret place you go to, if your secret place is the father Or if your secret place is a dark place, which is anything other than the father, anything other than the father. And that's the place that you run to. What do you do in the secret place? And I would say that it is a very real place. I would say to you that every time Moses was approached by the nation of Israel with murmuring and discouragement and and the threat of rebellion and uprising against him to kill him and and to go back into Egypt, what, what does Moses do? Every single time, what does Moses do but fall on his face before God? And what is he doing? I'm going to my secret place. I'm turning into it. I've got all of this disruption and stress and fear going all on around me. And at any moment, wherever I am, I can fall on my face to my father and receive his comfort and his wisdom and his strength and his answer. And God never failed. And David knew God was not going to fail him. And I would imagine these guys carried quite a, quite a big amount of stress in their life. Now, David describes going into the secret place, and I would say three things about it. What you do in the secret place, the objective of the secret place is not to know what God can do, but it's to know who God is. It's just to be with him. David said that when I come into your presence, there's only one desire. I'm coming with one thing. And I just want to I want to gaze upon you. And inquire of you. That's it. I have, I have nothing else. And Paul would say the same thing in the new covenant. And he would say everything that could ever happen. Or I could gain in my life. I count it all as dung that I might know him. That's this, this one thing that I do. These guys lived in that secret place. I would say Mary lived in that secret place. And so David is coming into the presence of God. And he said I'm not coming with any other baggage. I'm, I'm not coming into your presence because I want you to get them. 
Because he's got a lot of enemies. He describes his enemies. He describes his foes. He says, I'm coming into God's presence. I'm going to do business with God. I'm going to talk to God about all my enemies. And I'm coming. I'm expecting God to get them. I'm expecting God to do this. I'm expecting God to take care. No, none of that. I just want to come. I'm, I'm surrounded. I am haunted by enemies who want to eat my flesh up. All I want to do. All I want. I just want to come into your house. I just want to behold you. That is so far into some of you guys. Absolutely far into you. But so common to David. So common to Moses. So common to Paul. So common to John. So common to Mary. So common to so many. This very real place where God is so tangibly real that you can literally come into that place and gaze upon him. Is, it, is there even the possibility of that? And the scriptures affirm it. Jesus affirms it. Absolutely. Yes, you can see God. Yes, you can know God. Yes, you can touch God. And he can t- you can taste him. You can smell him. You can hear him. Of course you can. What kind of Christianity would it be if your God was absent? And so he says all of these things. So to understand this, to gaze upon him and to inquire. This is what the word means to gaze, to behold. Listen, this is, this is so interesting. It is the ability to see beyond what is seen in the physical. A moment of vision in the dark of night to see something that is not physically present. David, without the Holy Spirit, the way we have the Holy Spirit, is saying... I want to come into your presence and I want to see what cannot be seen in the physical. I want to gaze. And then the word inquire means this, to look or search for something, to plow, to inspect, to admire, care for, search, seek out. I want to come in the midst of a haunting life. And I want to sit in your presence, God, and I want to look past what is present and physical. And I want to gaze upon the invisible God, and I want to just look at you. I want to search you out. I want to see you. I want to understand you. I want it to plow me through, God, who you are, the essence of who you are. And in that moment, I find myself lifted up above my enemies. How could I not be? When God is my hiding place, my shadow, and my protection, how could I not be in the secret place you are going to discover God and who he is? And you're going to understand the very real threat of life outside of this secret place. That, that, that's, that's the thing. And, and I, I would say it to you this way. A person who has experienced harassment in life, whatever that harassment is, and ran to the secret place of their father and was able to look upon God, study God, examine him, see him, learn more about themselves in that moment than they ever could. Now, for the rest of their life, Cannot bear to be out of that place. 
there is something in them that is pushing them and pushing them to be so intimate with the Father. Something has gotten into their heart that they cannot take out. There's been an experience with God that has brought them such relief, such comfort, such peace. They're no longer afraid of life. They're no longer afraid of enemies. I've got a place to go to and I live here. This is the place. And and you, and you see them, they're, 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 they're struggling. Something's been out of shape in their life. If their heart is cold, their spirit is dry, they, they can't rest with that. They can't be content with that. I've got to get to God. I've got to get to God. I've got to get to my Father. I've got to be with Him. I don't need you to tell me to fast. I, I, I sense the need for my beloved. And oh, how I want to be with Him. Are you living in the secret place of darkness? Think about it. The biggest tragedies and triumphs of a person's life are born from the intimacies that they are in. The sins that destroy marriages, friendships, careers are all born in your secret place. What's going on in your secret place is going to eventually determine your quality of life, the quality of your home, the quality of your family, the quality of your friendships, the quality of your, your jobs. Everything is going to be determined by that. Secret place of pornography. Men and women, come on. This is not just a man problem. Young people. The secret place of pornography where you go and gaze and inspect. And something far more powerful than pornography begins to influence your destiny. Television. Bars. Drinking. That's some people's secret places. That's what we run to. Just had a rough day. Had a big day. A lot of stress on my day. I just want to come watch TV. Just want to relax. Maybe nothing wrong with it. Nothing bad about it. Just want to relax. This is my secret place. And a powerful thing is in that influencing your destiny. Lust, carnal desires, bad habits. Secret place where you cut yourself. The secret place where you question your gender. And an influence begins to overpower you. Restructuring your destiny. The secret place of music. Where you question why you live. And what your value is. And how many young people today. Have confessed and openly testified to attempted suicide. Simply because of a lot of times locking themselves in their room listening to music. Changing their atmosphere and their attitude. The secret place of your therapist. Which contributes to the billions of dollars we spend every year on health, mental health care. Because... I've got things in life that I can't deal with. I've got hurts in life. I've got abuses in life. I've been mistreated in life. I've been betrayed in life. I can't sort through all of this. My life is falling apart. I need a therapist. And people 
let that therapist become their secret place. Who influences their decisions and their life. But there's a father in heaven who will do that. And it's not that he won't put people in your life who give you therapy. I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. But is it, he's, God's not always the first person we're turning to. I need to get to the pastor. The pastor's my secret place. Well, if I could just get to the pastor and talk to him about this, you know, or whatever. My secret place is church. If I could just get to church, everything's going to be all right because we're going to sing some songs and get happy in the Lord and his presence. And I'm just going to be refreshed. But we walk right back out into those situations that quickly begin to oppress us and weigh us down because the church is not your secret place. The father is the secret place. And if he's not, there's nothing else in our life that's going to bring us contentment. And so people who run to any other place other than the place of God live in emptiness and loneliness and depression and anxiety and stress, insomnia, the, the, the longing to die, the longing to not be alive. We want Jesus to come back because we just don't want to live here anymore. And that's not the right reason to want Jesus to come back. So I want to conclude with this. And I pray that you would be honest about what is your secret place. Where do you go and gaze and look and study to find relief and to try to escape the stress and the fear and the pressure of your life? And today God's calling you out. Where are you? Where are you? And, and, and like God did with Adam in the garden, Adam... I don't want to destroy you. I'm actually going to come to you, Adam, and I am going to destroy this power that has wrecked your life and your kingdom. I'm going to destroy him and I'm going to save you. And Adam was brought back and I believe restored with God. But remember what Adam said. Remember what David alluded to. Remember what Moses alluded to. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. And I want to read to you what the secret place is. Because every one of us would say, well, I'm in Christ. And yeah, but it's not well with you. You know that. You're troubled, you know it. You're depressed, you know it. You, you, you need help. Outside of God, you're getting help. You know that. This isn't to put anybody down. But just understand what it really is. And in 1 John chapter 4, it says, I just want to read this to you, verse 18. There is no fear in love. I was afraid. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid. So I hid. I hid. I hid. So where do you hide yourself? Christian, where do you hide yourself? Let, let's get out of the theology of this. Where, where we try to make ourselves, you know, just... We're, Automatic pressed into, let's, let's just be real with God because there's a really great, real, gracious benefit God wants to give every one of us today. 
And the hiding place of God is his perfect love. And Adam in the garden was not too confident in God's love at that moment. He was much more confident in God's wrath. And the torment that he was going to receive because he disobeyed God. Listen, that's the way some of us are here today. You can't get past yourself. You can't get past your failure. You can't get past your weakness. You can't get past your sinning. Maybe some of those things that I read about the secret place of darkness, maybe that's where you find yourself sometimes. It's, it's your place. It's your secret. Nobody knows. And, but God knows. And maybe you're thinking, I, I can't get past this. I, I, I can't get past who I am. I can't get past what I've done. I can't get past these things. But let me ask you this question. Was David any better than you? A man who is after God's heart, a man who really loves the Lord, a man in whom God has chosen and God has anointed. And this man commits adultery. This man has a baby out of wedlock. This man who commits mass murder to kill a woman's husband, a man who lies, a man who disobeys God. And as a result of that, tens of thousands of his people are are killed because of his disobedience. Is David any better than you? David did not go before God and say, oh God, you are my hiding place. Because I never sin. You are my hiding place because I'm so upright. You are my hiding place because I'm so good. You are my hiding place because when Bathsheba was out there bathing, I ran fast back into my house and never looked at her. David didn't say, That's why you're my hiding place. You are my hiding place because I've got nowhere else to go. And you have proven to me, God, in my past that you did not let me down and you're not going to let me down now because you are my father. You are my God. You are, I'm in a relationship with you, God, that is stronger than a relationship with a boy's mother. Because even if a mother would forget me because of the horrific life that I've lived, the shameful life that I've lived, and my mother was to give me up because of all of that, God, you will not forsake me because of mercy. And so it's not the fact that we go around saying, yeah, God loves you. You got to know he loves you. Not because you're perfect, but because he's love. And perfect love drives out all fear. And that's the reason. In the presence of God, in the secret place, under the shadow of his wings, he lets you in there. Because of intimacy. And relationship and love. And your fear is driven away. And you are not afraid anymore. And you're not a victim anymore. And you're not devastated anymore. And your enemies are still out there calling for you. But you have found yourself standing on a rock. High and lifted up above your enemies. And all you can do is give God praise and sing to him and be so happy. Because I'm not afraid anymore. And the reason I'm not afraid anymore is God's perfect love has driven my fear out. And beloved, 
That's the hiding place. You got to know he loves you. And I can tell you in this modern world. There is no reason God should love me. But I can tell you he does. And he likes me. And he wants to be with me. And when I get scared. And I get hurt. And I have fear. I have found a place. Where I can hide. And you won't find me. And you could be looking right at me. But you won't find me. And I am gazing. Upon the one my soul loves. And you know what he's doing? He's singing. Songs of deliverance. Over me. So today. What hiding place. Are you in? And wherever it is. You can leave it. And you can come to the father. And you know that he loves you. And you know that he cares.